I started listening to the Compared to Who podcast, really focusing on the body image issues and struggles that I've had my entire life. And knowing that it was time to do something differently, I had been through so many crash diets and um, just so much focus on it and losing a sense of who I was based on my appearance. And the Compared to Who program just focused so much on getting the focus off of any of that and focusing on it as idolatry, which I had never considered before, and putting my eyes back on the Lord. Um, and it was so helpful that I ended up joining the group, the I call it the boot camp intensive group for six weeks, and found my mindset just shifting as truth was introduced, as different um, resources were given, different Tim Keller sermons, um, various things that really focused on the Lord and breaking free from the idolatry of body image. And not just that, but comparing to other people, to who I thought I should be, um, and really just focusing on the on the Lord and who he had me to be now. So thank you, Heather, for all the hard work you put into this program, and thank you for sharing it. And I've also shared it with other people. Oh, thanks, friend, for that just wonderful endorsement of the show and of your experience in coaching. It was a delight to work with you. And if you're listening to her story and you're thinking, I need more help. I need some encouragement. I need some coaching. I need someone to tell me what I'm missing. Someone who can speak into my individual journey and help me break free from all this body image and food frustration. Call me. That's all you got to (laughs) do. Call me. I'm taking individual clients um, through the end of the year and into next year. And then next January, I will start another round of group coaching. So those applications will probably go out in December. So you can get in uh, early if you're sure you want a spot in that group. It'll start mid-January and it'll go six weeks running until the end of February. But otherwise, I'm available for individual coaching. I love the opportunity to work with women one-on-one. Go to comparedo.me, look for the coaching tab, find out all you need to know there, or just pick up a 10-minute time and let's talk. So my guest on today's show is Dr. Michelle Bankston. She's a friend of mine. She's been on the show before. She is a neuropsychologist. And I invited her on today because I've been doing a lot of research around what accompanies eating disorders, like what are the mental health influences on that. And so Dr. Michelle, Dr. B, as she goes by, is going to help us look at how OCD connects to eating disorders and body image stuff, and also how having a narcissist in your life can play a role in all this. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. 
Dr. Michelle Bankston. Thanks so much for being on the Compared Who show today. It's always fun to be with you. I feel like this is old times when we get to reconnect. I know. I know we've known each other for a while from our early writing days, and you've been on the yeah. show before. I brought you on today to talk about some hard mental health related stuff that I need help navigating. And I know my listeners need help navigating too. I've been doing a lot of research recently for my book and I'm stumbling upon things that are just fascinating to me. And I thought you would be the perfect person to come on the show and just break it down for us. And I want to start by talking about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, because I'm reading everywhere that there's a connection between OCD and eating disorders. Dr. B, I always call you Michelle. Do you prefer to be called Dr. B? <laughs> I knew you as Michelle. I love Dr. B. Uh, but... like to, you know, we're friends, so whatever you want, Heather. <laughs> well, will you start by just explaining, like, what is OCD? And then maybe share with us, so how does that look? How, do o- how does OCD and eating disorders, how do they connect? So the crux of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, is actually a form of anxiety disorders. Mm. There's a lot of different types of anxiety disorders and OCD falls under that. But you can have obsessive or compulsive traits or tendencies, if you will, and and not meet a full-blown diagnosis of OCD or a full-blown diagnosis of anxiety. But there is also an obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Okay. And that's individuals who that really is kind of what drives their personality. They they do things based on their obsession or the compulsion, but all of that is usually driven by worry or fear or anxiety. And at the crux of that, Heather, is our feeling like we need to control something. Mm. And frequently when it comes to eating disorders, the reason why obsessive compulsiveness comes into that is because frequently eating disorders come during a time when people feel out of control in their life, but they know that they can take control over their food intake, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So obsessive compulsive disorder is often co-diagnosed with addiction. Okay. Because addiction is rooted in in being obsessive or compulsive about whatever that area of addiction is, whether it's workaholism or shopping or it's an eating disorder. We are attempting to soothe what mm-hmm. feels out of control with whatever our area of obsession or compulsion is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is, and I... I... I don't want to ask too technical of a question here, but just to kind of help, help my listeners get a framework. So I'll use myself as an example. I know that I've gone through seasons, I think pregnancy, but, but be like this way before COVID just for context, where I felt like I could feel the germs on my hands and I was sanitizing my hands all the time. And I know that is like an OCD thing, but just having that doesn't qualify as OCD. What are, what are some of the other diagnostic criteria for OCD? 
the obsession is the thoughts that you're having. Like in that example that I, I must have germs on my hand. The compulsion is the behavior you engage in to try to deal with the obsession. So you've got the thoughts and then you've got the behaviors to try to cope with it. Now, when it becomes a disorder is when it significantly impacts your activities of daily living. So if you are so afraid of coming into contact with germs and the impact that may have that, for example, you're late to work every morning because you're washing your hand out the door and then you stop to get gasoline and then you have to go in and wash your hands and then you... I don't know, go through the drive through at Starbucks, but then you've got to wash your hands again because you've exchanged money. And so as a result, it interferes with your work life because now you're consistently late to work and your okay. boss is getting on you, but you feel powerless to do anything but that compulsion. So when it really becomes clinically significant is when it significantly impacts your daily living. A lot of people wash their hands especially after COVID, right? right. <laughs> but but it's when it's excessive to the situation and it's somehow impairing part or all of your life. Okay. So what about orthorexia? Does that kind of fit into both categories, eating disorders and OCD? Yeah. Yeah. Just because the person with orthorexia can't and and just for those who aren't familiar with the term orthorexia, it's a, sort of a, an addiction to clean eating, being afraid of eating something that's not clean, that person wouldn't be able to just go to a friend's house for, for lunch without taking their own food or being prepared to face, quote unquote, unclean foods. Right. So the obsession is that you're focused on what will happen if I don't eat clean? What do I have to do to maintain that clean eating lifestyle? What's going to happen if, you know, somehow some non-clean food gets inserted into my diet, but then the compulsion is all the time that you may be spending either planning the meals or shopping for the meals or washing the food or any of the behaviors that go to try to calm the obsessive thoughts. Yeah. But when you're spending an excessive amount of time doing that, you're trying to gain control in something that's extremely difficult for us to continually have control over. And that's why it goes into addictive behavior because yeah. you are trying to control something with some means. It's that compulsion yeah. that. It's difficult to control. In this life, we have very little control over things, but that is why eating disorders become so common because that's the one area we are under the illusion yeah. we can control. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like what you said a little bit ago. It's that anxiety that's driving it. Yes. And and so we think we can fix it by controlling it and that will give us less anxiety, but it doesn't work out that way, does it? Doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, it's the opposite of that. By attempting to control it, if it mitigates those thoughts or those internal feelings that we're having for even a short period of time, then we fall under the delusion that, oh, this behavior that we engaged in controlled it. So it actually reinforces the whole cycle. So you'll continue to do that because you're under the illusion 
that it's all because of what you were thinking and doing. And at the root is that fear. The fear is going to be different for everybody, but it could be a fear of criticism or a fear of gaining weight or a fear of getting the same health conditions as people in previous generations in our family. There's so many different fears, but at the root, obsessions and compulsions are based in worry, fear, and anxiety. And then the compulsion is an attempt to try to control those uncomfortable feelings that we get because our brain knows when we're worried or fearful or anxious. So we're trying to control that. Right. And then we fall under this belief that, oh, well, it worked. So because it worked, we do it again. And because that worked, we do it again. And that's what drives addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how you laid that out. Oh, yes. You wrote a great book called Breaking Free from Anxiety Script. So we can't diet away our anxiety, <laughs> can we, Michelle? <laughs> no, we can't. And if anything, the more excessive we are in dieting, the more we will end up having to be fearful of in the long term. Mm-hmm. Because excessive dieting, as you know, changes your body and your brain chemistry, and it can predispose you to health conditions we always tend to think of obesity mm-hmm. as predisposing us to certain health conditions mm-hmm. like diabetes and heart disease, but under eating, not eating enough calories or the right kinds of food that can fuel other health crises. Right. right. Yeah. And I mean, and a lot of the data shows that it's actually the, the yo-yo, the up and yeah. down, up and down, up and down with your weight that happens with dieting. That is probably a bigger contributor to those, that pack of diseases that's always attributed to being, you know, quote unquote, overweight when it, if you stay the same way, you might've been okay. (laughs) So it's, 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 oh boy, we're, we're marketed to on a variety of levels with with some agenda. God gives us so much wisdom in his word. And so when we are attempting to control things in our own strength, at some point, that method is going to break down. We're going to realize it doesn't work. So it's really a matter of where are we putting our trust? Are we putting our trust in the foods we're eating? Are we putting our trust in the FDA and the CDC? Mm -hmm. Are we putting our trust in our own ability to abstain from certain foods? Instead, what if we trusted God and asked him for godly wisdom? I don't know about you, but when I do that, it takes the weight of me having to be in control off because when I get to the point where I feel like I have to maintain control, it's so heavy. My muscles get tight. You know, it affects me health-wise, aches and pains, numerous things happen. But when I go, you know what, Lord, I'm doing the best I can. Mm -hmm. I need your help. I need you to guide me. I need you to give me wisdom. Then if we are being obedient to what he shows us, the outcome's on him. He has to deal with the results. So that's where I find where if people can recognize where's the fear coming from, Mm -hmm. what is it I'm afraid of, and what am I doing that perhaps is maladaptive to try to control that, Mm -hmm. and then do a paradigm shift and say, okay, God, I need your help with this because this is not healthy. 
show me what I should be doing. Yeah. And then we can have more peace in the situation. Yeah. I love that because I think for some friends that might be listening today, grew up like I did, where they kind of heard that mandate to be a good steward of your body as that means I've got to work really hard and it's all on me, what happens with my body. And I've got to be a tight controller because that's what being good steward is. And it's, it's just a lie, right? You're so right. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit inside us. Jesus wants to walk with us in these things with our bodies too. He never said, okay, I'll take care of the rest of your life. You just take care of your body. Make sure it looks really good. So people (laughs) will figure out that you're one of my followers. Like that's just all ridiculous stuff that we've twisted in the church. Don't you think? It, It is. And isn't it funny that we can more easily extend grace when other people make mistakes Mm -hmm. than we will extend grace to ourselves. And we can try to control the food that we eat, but even if we went so far as to say, okay, I'm just going to eat off the land, my land, Mm -hmm. even with that degree of taking control, I can't control what minerals are in the ground. Right. So it, it's a futile effort to try to control this whole system. It's literally impossible. Hey friend, are you tired of having to know where the restroom is every time you go out? Are back and hip tightness limiting your activities or worse, waking you up at night? Did you know that if you are being more than 10 times a day, or leaking pee for any reason that isn't normal? This was news to me, my friends, because one in every three women are dealing with these issues and more. That's over 52 million women just in the United States that are suffering silently with these issues, thinking that they just have to live with this. Well, let me introduce you to my friends, Jen and Christina of Tighten Your Tinkler. You see, they know how overwhelming it can be to try and figure out how to deal with these personal and life-altering issues because they've personally dealt with these things too. After doing two and a half years of research and getting published in the Journal of Women's Health Physical Therapy, they have proven that you can heal utilizing a 10-minute-a-day routine. They're offering something special just for you. So head over to tightenyourtinkler.com and enter the code HEATHER, in all caps, H-E-A-T-H-E-R, at checkout, and you can get $50 off their signature program. Listen, this is not Kegels. You can do all of this at home easily. It's actually kind of fun. It's not painful and you don't have to insert anything anywhere. If you're not sure what this is all about, go over to tightenyourtinkler.com. They have a five minute root cause quiz, which can help you figure out what's going on with your body and start the journey to healing today. I hope you go check it out. It's tightenyourtinkler.com. So how do we learn to be controllers? Where does that come from? I mean, and that's, a, that's like a million dollar question you could spend an hour answering, but <laughs> generally. Largely it comes from the fear. So we have to recognize what, what am I so afraid of happening and what's the root of that? And Heather, so often 
if we really sit down and we pray about it and we ask the Lord to reveal things to us, we'll realize that a lot of those fears have their root in early childhood. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, many of us heard the the message and the mandate to be good stewards of our body. And many of us growing up heard clean your plate. Mm-hmm. There wasn't surplus food and there wasn't surplus income. So you didn't waste food. Mm-hmm which makes it more difficult today then to push that plate away when we're full. Mm-hmm. It often comes back to messages we heard when we were little and we didn't know to question them. Yeah. Yeah. Now we need to take the time to question and look to see, are there certain lies that I'm believing? Mm-hmm. Are there certain messages that are not healthy and are they consistent with what God says? Cause if they're not, we need to find a way to replace those with the truth of God's word. Right. Right. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's when it's like when Jesus says, you know, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. God gives us parameters because he loves us, but it's, it shouldn't be that weighty pressure. We put the weighty pressure on ourselves. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have sensed at certain times in my life when I've taken control where I felt like God was saying, okay, you go ahead. I didn't ask you to do that. I'm not going to stop you, but at some point you'll see that my way is better. Yeah, And it took me a while to wake up and go, wow, he really didn't ask me to take that burden on myself. I decided I had to do that. Right. That was a big lie I believed. But yeah. man, when I got hold of the lie and realized that doesn't come from God, oh, it it changed so much mm-hmm. in my life. That would be a whole nother episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, I think the lie is that we will be safer if we control what our bodies look like, right? Safer from from health issues, of course, that's kind of the default one. But I think if we really dug even deeper, that we would be safer from the criticism of other people or the disapproval of other people, or even the criticism of ourselves and our own disapproval, right? That that if I can just control my size, my shape, the way I look, I will be safe. That's but not what keeps us safe, right? Go ahead. It's not what keeps us safe. And that's when we are looking at our outward appearance and the things we do in order to gain acceptance from the world, instead of realizing we're already accepted by God, Mm -hmm. just as we are faults and all, if we didn't have any faults, we wouldn't have needed a savior. Mm -hmm. But here's the flip side of that. You can go to great lengths to control how much you exercise, to control what food you put in your body. But I've seen it work the opposite way where women who are absolutely beautiful and they're thin and they are the model of perfection, they don't get accepted either because they're deemed too perfect. Nobody else can relate to them. So this is a fallacy that we believe that if I just control what I eat and control how much I exercise and I stay looking like this, I will be accepted. People are going to find fault regardless. Right. Right. Whether you're too fat, you're too thin, or you're perfect, mm-hmm. somebody's going to find a reason to criticize. Right. But God, he doesn't criticize. He convicts to help us stay in right relationship with him. So when we feel guilt and condemnation, that's a really strong indicator. That's coming from someplace other than God. Amen. 
Preach it. Yep. Just just wrote about that in the new book. I, can't <laughs> I even wait made for a little chart to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Conviction versus condemnation. That's, hopefully the chart will make it in there. Um, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's so good. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about something else. My other big, big question for you as a neuro, what is it? neuropsychiatrist, neuropsychologist, what's the big word I'm missing? Board certified neuropsychologist. Neuropsychologist. I knew there was a lot of, a lot of components. So basically y'all like Dr. B here is a brain scientist. So she knows her stuff. Um, a brain doctor, right? There you That's go. Right. Yeah. Brain doctor. That works. Um, let's talk about narcissism. Because what I am seeing, and this, so this is anecdotal. I don't think I've actually been able to find a study that proves this. So I just, I want to run my anecdotal evidence by you. Okay. Okay. Anecdotally, what I am seeing as I coach women and work with women one-on-one, it feels like it is often, there is some narcissistic influence from likely a mom, but maybe some, someone else that contributes or has contributed to this body image obsession, this eating disorder realm, this over fixation with, with body and food, that there's this, this person of influence that may have been, I mean, I don't have the credentials to, to diagnose anyone, but may have been narcissistic. Is that, is that a real connection? Am I making that up? Like what, what could that be? That is frequently a component of it. Not always, but a lot of times, and it may be a mother, it may be a father, it could be a teacher, and frequently it's a coach. Mm. Or once you start to move into the teen years, young adult years, it's frequently an intimate partner. Mm. Not necessarily a spouse, but it could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I want to make the point that not all narcissists are male. Okay, that's really important. Mm -hmm. The preponderance of narcissists that we know of are men, Mm -hmm. but I've met plenty of narcissistic Mm -hmm. women. Me too. But (laughs) narcissist thinks the world revolves around them Mm -hmm. and they do whatever they can do to control others for their personal gain. And so in a dating relationship, it can look like telling you that you can't gain any weight because mm-hmm. you've got to look a certain way for them when when you are their arm candy it mm-hmm. can be monitoring what food you eat because they don't want you to gain weight mm-hmm. frequently narcissists will attempt to try to control what clothes you wear mm-hmm. what photos you post it's also that they can maintain this image mm-hmm. in public but yeah. it's at the result of decreasing the self-esteem of their victim. Mm -hmm. And so this can result in eating disorders Mm -hmm. because they use that means of control to try to keep you in the relationship and you gain something from them. It may be their attention. It may be their affectionate words, but you will gain something from them. So you're invested to make them happy. And what's so important is that is not consistent with what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love. The narcissist is never driven by love. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. They are driven by image, pride, ego, and control. Yeah. And unfortunately, it can have such long-term devastating impacts on those that are in relationship with them. But yeah. it can happen in the home as well. Yeah. Controlling parents. It can happen on on the sports fields. You know, you can only weigh this much. Mm -hmm. You can only eat this. You can only wear these clothings. So unfortunately, it's all around us. Yeah. But I'm doing a podcast episode. It's coming out fairly soon about ways to spot the narcissist in your life because oh, awesome. we've all experienced them. Yeah. We just don't always know that what it is. Right. Right. Well, I, I had an experience with a narcissist a few years ago and I had no idea that's what it was because this person was not how I pictured a narcissist. I thought a narcissist would be the woman who like overly cared about her makeup and her hair and was like, you know, really dressed up and really tried to, I don't know, just present an image that looked like a magazine cover. And the woman that I encountered was like crunchy, like as far from that <laughs> as possible. And so it just never even crossed my mind. But then as we started to dig in, it was like, oh, wait, it's really important to her that, you know, that, that people think of her like this. And it wasn't about physical beauty. It was about other attributes that she was protecting that people thought about her in that way. And it's, you know, it's a fascinating and uncomfortable thing. Well, and frequently narcissists tend to be charming fairly charismatic. Mm -hmm. They're engaging. And so people love to be around them. They are like the life of the party. Yeah. It's only when you go into that one-on-one -on -one interpersonal relationship with them that you're likely to see the other side. But that's what makes it so difficult when you're dealing with a narcissist, because you could be sharing your story about this person and their treatment of you with someone else and then someone else won't believe you because that's not the side they see. Right. The narcissist's public persona is all important. Yeah. And they think they're all important. Yeah. So it's one thing if this was like a coach that you no longer see anymore or, you know, an ex-boyfriend or ex-husband. But what if it is mom or dad? Like what? How do you how do you counsel. I know every case is different, but how do you deal with that when it's, when it's a family member? You know, it depends on the age, but if you are of the age that you can voluntarily participate in therapy, mm -hmm. that's one of the first things I would suggest, because mm -hmm. what we really need to be able to do is have a safe place with someone who is knowledgeable in the field to be able to point out what behaviors are coming from the narcissist MO and how you could respond to them differently in the future so that yeah. you take back your control. Mm -hmm. You take back your sense of self-esteem. You take back your behavior mm -hmm. rather than letting them dictate it. Mm -hmm. It's hard though, when you're still living in the home, for example, with a narcissist parent mm -hmm. or with a spouse because narcissists engage in what's called gaslighting. Now, everybody's probably heard the term gaslighting, but most people don't realize what it is. And it's basically the narcissist will change the narrative mm -hmm. of what happened in a situation to make you their victim mm -hmm. question your own sanity and question mm -hmm. 
why that's that's not how I thought it went down. Yeah. So they will change it to make you question yourself rather than question them. So when you're in the home, that's really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. But that's where a very good qualified counselor can be helpful to help you establish boundaries, not only to heal from any narcissistic abuse from the past, but to be able to spot it in the future. Yeah, that's good. The narcissist victim tends to be a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And so when we have that personality type where, you know, if, if we can make you happy, we want to make you happy. Mm-hmm. The problem is you'll never fully make a narcissist happy. They just keep upping the ante. Right. Right. Oh, Michelle, someone was like, ouch, she said people pleaser. Oh, no, I'm a people pleaser. But, you know, you 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 said just a minute ago about the autonomy thing. And I think that's an important place to go just for a minute, because as I've observed it for a lot of us with body image issues, there is this kind of fuzzy sense of our own autonomy over our own body. It's like this wrestling match between I want to control it. I feel like I can completely control it. And I don't really feel in charge of it because everyone else's opinions of it matter a lot. Right. So, so how does that fit into the mix? Well, part of it is because our desire to control it is then also fueled by other people's opinions. So it's this reinforcing cycle, but it goes back to what we were saying before. We really do have very little control. And so if it goes back to where are we basing our worth? Is it based on our behavior or is it based on our true identity in Christ? That's the huge differentiation. We don't have to work for God's grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, or his salvation. He does give us parameters to follow in his word, but nowhere in his word do I read you can only eat 1200 calories a day and you must exercise for an hour every day. Right. He doesn't say that because his love for us is not based on that, but the love and the acceptance that we receive from imperfect humans mm-hmm. is always going to be flawed. Yeah. 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 So how, I know you're going to do an episode on this and I can't, I'm so glad you said that because I'm going to link to that episode for sure. What can you give me like top three ways to spot a narcissist? Yeah. First of all, if they tend to be very preoccupied with self, they're always telling you about their accomplishments and they're not interested in yours. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. If they attempt, if they tend to be rather charming and gregarious, that doesn't mean that they're a narcissist, but you have to look behind that to see, but what are their interpersonal relationships like? Mm -hmm. Frequently, narcissists don't have very deep or very long-term relationships because once people realize what they're like, they don't Mm -hmm. want anything to do with Mm -hmm. that. And they tend to demonstrate a lack of personal responsibility. Everything is always everyone else's fault and Mm -hmm. they are quick to blame, but they expect everybody else to extend grace to them. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting thing. Even among those who call themselves Christians or Christ followers, the narcissist will often get mad at God because, because they are so grandiose and they expect everything to go their way. They will get mad at God because they expect God to do things their way. And that's just not how it works. (laughs) No, it isn't. And it's, it's funny because it's not funny, but I mean, you know, I think we've all had 
seasons where we've been disappointed that, you know, God, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. Right. So that doesn't necessarily classify you as a narcissist. No, no, no. Felt that way. (laughs) But, but it is, it is so true that I think we've all had an encounter with someone where we're like, wait a second. (laughs) Why is this all about you? But, but sometimes it's subtle. I mean, I've, I've fallen for it way too many times. I have yeah. too, and I'm the clinician. So, <laughs> so I don't know, feel so bad. <laughs> I hope your listeners feel good about that because they're very charming. Yeah. They know how to get what they want. Yeah. At the root, if we want to talk about spiritual roots, at the root of narcissism is pride, manipulation, and control. Yeah. Well, we know what the Bible says about that. Pride yeah. comes before the fall, right? Right. Right. That's where they're coming from. That is their basis for everything they do. Yeah. 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 So OCD, narcissism, anything else you're thinking we need to throw into this mix as we kind of wrap up today? Well, the other thing that we might want to talk about is that there are some personalities may not be diagnosable, but there is something called dependent personality disorder. And those are individuals, and you may not even meet the diagnosis, but they are individuals that are generally dependent on everyone else for their validation, for their self-esteem, for helping them problem solve. And those who are dependent also tend to have a greater likelihood that they are people pleasers Mm -hmm. because They don't want to lose the people in their life that they're dependent on. Mm -hmm. But as a result, they are more likely to engage in some of the less healthy behaviors we've been talking about today because they want to please other people. Mm -hmm. So that's an area where, again, do we want to be dependent on imperfect humans or do we Mm -hmm. want to be dependent on a perfect God? Because one will let us down every time and one will never let us down. So would an example of that be, um, you know, we mentioned this example earlier, but perhaps the husband who says, I would love you more if you lost X number of pounds and the wife's response is to, to wear that responsibility instead of trying to engage in a healthier conversation about really, like, is that what our love is? Is that really what covenantal marriage is? Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, is that, was that an example? Yeah. Because they don't want to lose that, that marital relationship, Mm -hmm. but a true loving marital relationship is going to look for the best in the other person. They're going to want to encourage the other person. They're not going to use tactics to hurt the other person or to control them. Right. So that's where when we're talking about interpersonal relationships and how it affects us and the obsessions and compulsions that we might have, we need to look at really what does true love look like? And that's the kind of relationships we want to be involved in. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Okay. You had a book come out this summer. It's a really pretty little blue book. Um, <laughs> it's a, a daily, a daily read. So tell us about that book first. The latest book that came out that you're referring to is called Today is Going to Be a Good Day. 90 promises from God to start your day off right. The whole idea being behind that, especially since the pandemic is we all 
struggle with difficult circumstances. We struggle with our feelings. But when we are basing our outlook for the day on God's promises, any day can be a good day despite our feelings and despite our circumstances. It's a quick little read. Each daily devotion will take you less than two minutes, but it's a good way of changing our mindset to focus on the truth of God's word and what he's already promised us. Love it. And it's a pretty little book. I think it'd make a great Christmas gift. So if you're just looking for something to pick up for someone, you know, it's great encouragement and it's the solid perfect sides to put in a stocking. Oh, so if you're looking stuffer. for stocking stuffers <laughs> or a hostess gift, it is the perfect giftable size. It fits in a backpack, a purse, a glove compartment, diaper bag. I opened mine. I was like, oh, it's so pretty. <laughs> So that was my response. I think anyone you gave it to as a gift would respond that way too. Okay. And then you've written uh, two other books and then some uh, additional workbooks around those. So tell us about those also, just for those who aren't familiar with your, with your work, Michelle. The first book was Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression, which really helps walk people through what is depression? What does it look like? How can we identify it? But how do we have hope for overcoming it? And then my readers asked me to write a Bible study. So I wrote the Companion Hope Prevails Bible study. But then the book that has really probably most applicable to our conversation today is Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises. Because we all struggle with worry, fear, and anxiety at some point. God knew we would, or he wouldn't have told us over 300 times in the Bible, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't worry about tomorrow, be anxious for nothing. And that walks readers through where does fear come from and how can we combat it so that we can exchange our worry, fear, and anxiety with God's peace. And it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. And I think I, I mentioned last time you're on the podcast that my husband stole it from me when it first came in the mail and he read it quickly and he thought it was a great That was a great compliment. I love that. (laughs) Especially since the cover isn't necessarily masculine. That's right. (laughs) It does have the sailboat on it though. It does have a sailboat for the men. Uh, And Michelle, tell us where we can listen to your podcast. If you go to my website, drmichelleb.com, there's links for all sorts of free resources and my podcast, Your Hope-Filled Perspective. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for helping us get into the the science, the mental health uh, side of some of these issues that I know a lot of my listeners are dealing with. So I appreciate you being here to help us break that down. It's always my pleasure to be with you. Thanks, friend. Okay. And thank you for listening today. I hope something in today's episode has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. Before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor? Leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. Not sure how to do it? You can go to comparetohu.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at comparetohu.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching 
is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. Hey friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the Start Here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.